Girls and guys from different sides, welcome to another episode of Link to the Cast. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, joined by the RPG Wunderkind, Brian McNamara. Brian, how are you? <laughs> how are you, friend? I'm good, I'm good. We've had a good week, haven't we? It was a long and arduous week at first. Well, like, I'm good about this Yeah, like I'm I'm back teaching now. Uh at long last in some respects, but oh, that oh, summer was too me. short in, in other respects. And then you've had quite a long week in work as well. 10 to 6 shifts of work, it's not a fun time. Yeah, um, so there was that part, but we ended the week in style, I think. Oh. Uh, yesterday, when the original plan was I was going to come home from um, college and we were going to record straight away, but then about halfway home I decided I wanted a steak. So we went out, we got, we got a couple of steaks, and then we went and saw a little film. A little film called Crimson Peak. Um, now, Brian, you're not uh, normally a horror fanboy. Like, I, I appreciate a good horror movie. Yeah, like uh, I, like I'm a I big horror guy. For us, yeah, yeah. I, I love horror films. So, like, and I love Guillermo del Toro. So, uh, I was like proper excited from the first time I heard about this Crimson Peak film. I was very excited about it. But um, your thoughts, having gone to see it now, like there were. Moments very early on in the film where all I could hear coming from the seat beside me was Brian just going, no, 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 nope, 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 and uh, several jumpy moments. Uh, how, how did you find it? Like, I kind of, you know, I'm a horror buff, so this, it's pretty much, you was, know what I'm going to say about it. Was it was an amazing experience of a film. Like, it's like, it is, like, I would not say it's my favourite Del Toro film, but I would say it, it's probably his absolute masterpiece. I mean, it's amazingly shot, um, the cinematography, the costume. The word you had last night was sumptuous. Sumptuous. I mean, like, if you think, like, you know, like, I just got a girl who's mad for her BBC period dramas, all the Jane Austens and the Brontes and things like that, and, you know, love stuff like that, and all the costumes and the look and everything like that, I mean, Crimson Peak just shits on that. I mean, it's amazing. Um, I, I think you said at one point during the film last night, you, you leaned over and, and said to me that uh, Guillermo del Toro was the filmmaker Tim Burton wishes he was. Tim Burton stays away from like crying and you know, masturbating over Crimson Peak and films and you know, fans of that like, I, I, I really love that film. I'm not going to dwell on it too long because obviously we're not, it's not linked to the box office yeah. like, we've, uh, like we've occasionally hinted we should do an episode of. But... Um, yeah, really love the film. Tom Hiddleston was great. I, I'm no surprises there. Mia, wah, 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 wah. You're one from the terrible Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, uh, was, was great. And I, I nailed, I was trying to forbid half the film. I was trying to figure out who does she look like because it was really bothering me. <laughs> and then we, we we agreed that she looked like kind of jailbait Kate Hudson, mm. uh, which I think was sufficient. Uh, you were pleasantly surprised. I wasn't pleasantly surprised because I quite, I quite like her, but you were pleasantly surprised by how much you enjoyed Jessica Chastain. And awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. Not to tip, not, not, yeah, not to tip kind of like what's going on in the film or anything like that, but she plays like a significant role in that. Oh, she's great. And then uh, one of our old favorites, Jim Beaver, uh, yeah, um, from, from Supernatural, pops up in a in a really like significant role in the, the kind of the first part of the film. Uh, also, I because I didn't realize, or maybe I had read it and forgot he was in it. But Charlie Hunnam's in it as well, and I kind of Jack Teller. Yeah, like I, I I listened to the IGN UK podcast last night before I went to sleep, and they were talking about how like he's the one kind of outlier in the film because you're just like he's not a movie star like yeah. people really want him to be a movie star Jim but he's Beaver's just not, not. yeah but Jim Beaver like you can buy him in a supporting role yeah whereas Charlie Hunnam is just like this isn't TV what are you doing here did you get lost <laughs> um 
him and his weird accent in so real life. Weird. His accent is actually fine in this. It's basically like... Uh, it's his turn Jack's Teller of, accent. Yeah, it's his turn of the 20th century Jack Teller accent. It's a slightly more well-spoken Jack Teller. Yeah. But uh, no, very good film. Would definitely recommend. Only came out last Five night stars. as we're recording this. Yeah, absolutely. As I was saying to Brian last night, the only movie I'm really excited for for the rest of the year is Spectre, which is out next week. And uh, the bar is set now because I was like I was expecting to love it, but not nearly as much as uh, I did love it. Um, so I suppose we'll we'll start moving into talking about games here. And uh, I have a, a customer service tale of woe to begin things with. Uh, so I ordered um, for my girlfriend. She likes Animal Crossing. I've never been a big fan of Animal Crossing games. I'm aware it's a thing. Yeah. Um, so there's a new version of Animal Crossing called Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer, which is basically like an interior design game with animals. Animal Crossing assets. They are like all the characters are animals and stuff like that. Uh, to my understanding, never even played one of the games. They just don't interest me. Um, so I went to this site, Zabby, that our friend Ben had recommended me to before. That like you could save a couple of euro on the games. There used to be a Zabby store in Whitewater here in town. Um, it was there uh, after Virgin Megastore closed down, but before HMV went in there. And um, so I was like, okay, right, I'll order off here um, and get it, you know, get it shipped to her house rather than have to go into the shop myself and then bring it over to her house or anything like that. This would be handy. I can just pay for it now and worry about it later. So uh, this was about a month ago. Um, two weeks passes and it was out on the 2nd of October. So the release date comes and goes and I don't get a notification saying it's shipped. Now, normally with Amazon, usually if I order something that isn't out yet, the day it is supposed to be out, I get the shipping notification. Mm. Because unfortunately, we don't live in the UK where it will ship on the day it's out. But normally, on the day that it's supposed to be released, I'll get the notification saying it's shipped. I did not get this notification. So I waited a few days anyway, so a week passed. Uh, so the 9th of October. I emailed Abby there, their customer support on the site. I, I mailed them and I said, like, I have not got any sort of update to say, like, what, where is my product? They email back going, oh, sorry, we had a problem with our supplier. We don't have the game. And I was, what? And they, in that message, they kind of suggested that, like, oh, look, we're going down alternate routes to find a new supplier for this product. I was like, okay, right, I'll give them a few days grace in case it genuinely was a mistake, because Lord knows everybody makes mistakes. Is it fine? Wait another week. This was yesterday morning. And sent them another email. I said, I've got nothing from you uh, following up on it. And I've got no shipping notifications still. So, like, what's going on here? I wanted this game for around the 2nd of October when it came out. And I have not gotten that. So, at this point, because I was quite annoyed at this point, you know what I mean? Like, because I'm, I'm snobby. I'm used to the professionalism of Amazon. That even when they send you the wrong thing, like that one time that I was trying to get a DVD and they sent me a 7-disc yeah, audio CD set of the best of Paddington Bear. Now, look, I love Paddington Bear as much as the next guy. But uh, what was it I was even trying to get on? Oh, it was Monsters, Inc. on Blu-ray that I was looking for, yeah. Um, but, like, the professionalism that Amazon have is second to none, like, in terms of customer service. Like, because I had to return that, it was easy as anything. If I ever had to cancel an order, it's easy as anything. It's great. So, yeah, I was just annoyed. And I went, do you know what? Like, because the game, I think, was, they were offering it for, say, for example, 51 euro. In a shop, it's only 54. So, for the sake of 3 euro, I just said, cancel my order right now. And I just went into a shop yesterday when I was in college and just bought and I was like, it was just a miserable experience. And then I was on the way home um, and I decided, like, I just jokingly, because Ben recommended it to me to give him a bit of grief over it. And I messaged him and he was telling me he ordered FIFA, which came out, like, 
uh, in September, and he still hasn't got it. So I like uh, yeah, cautionary tale for anybody listening. Um, Zavi uh, with two V's are probably not the way to go if you're going to order games. Uh, stick to the likes of if you're in Ireland. Do you know who are great at actually shipping electronics and games and stuff? Is uh, Smith's Toy Stores. That's where I got my um, my headset, my PlayStation Your headset. headset. Uh, yeah, my fancy headset. I got it off them, and it was a reasonable price, and they shipped it the next day. And it was like it was here within forty eight hours of me ordering it, and then um, as we get on to it, one of the games we've been playing this week, I have had good uh, kind of experiences ordering online with GameStop here in Ireland as well, because that got here very quickly as well. The thing we're going to talk about, but yeah, that's that's kind of our week in a nutshell. And I suppose um, considering people are here to hear about Das Games, we should probably start talking about games. Uh, Brian, what kind of things have you been playing this week? Uh, well, this week I picked up a few different things when tablet sampling. Finally picked up GTA V. At long last. At long last. You know the way you're always on top of your current trends, buying the game two years after it originally came out on PS3? Oh, yeah, I'm cutting this, I am. <laughs> uh, people online are pricks. Oh, yeah. Um, Not just in GTA, my friend. Yeah, I'm aware of that, like, but no, I mean, like, I picked it up, I wasn't mad, I can't pay, I never, I haven't been mad for GTA since GTA 2. Um, and he literally like, hopped off right before it got like next level good. Yeah, my samples like one of my mates has uh, what was it PS2 with GTA 3 on it. The sample yeah. was like, no, I seem to interest that, but just the story was never something I really wanted to do or play. Like, mm-hmm. and then I was like, you know, the boys are all on GTA Online, which are cool robber gang, the pink ladies. So yeah. uh, you know, finally gave into your urging to come and join the gang. And I picked it up, and I've been online and like. I like the kind of little RPG-ishness of, you know... RP- like, those RPG elements. That's why I introduced you as the RPG wunderkind. Uh, different RPG elements, man. Yeah. You know, buy my own place and, you know, basically go shopping. Yeah, um, and, and you actually got it in a nice little bundle that was on the PlayStation Store, if you want to tell people about that deal that you it had. It was, I think it's over now already. It yeah, was, but, well, it seemed to be, it was it on for a while, off for a while, so, yeah. you know, if you keep an eye out, you might catch it again. It was, um, with the... Get the game and get was it 1.25 million in-game credits mm. uh, as part of the month. Right? I think it was an extra couple of euros on the cost of the game. So it was there for a bit at 70 odd, and then it came back and I picked it up for about 80 odd euros. Um, slightly great, but like fuck it, I missed mm. it last time. I wasn't gonna miss it this time. Mm. But yeah, I like like I enjoy going online. You know, souping up some cars, doing my gaff. Buying some clothes and stuff, going shopping. You did some survival mode with me did as well. Did some survival mode with you to to rake up some experience so I could get a gaff. Um, I find it really annoying that I'm going. To, I'm having to run around in passive mode because if I go around in active mode, I walk at the front door of the penthouse place. Yeah, you see, one of some come with a rocket. Yeah, one of the problems that I find with it is because now, um, if you like landed in a lobby with people who've been playing it any length of time, that one building is where the nicest apartments are, and, yeah. and like, not all. There are other places you can get ten car garages in the game, which is the maximum you can have in a garage. But that's kind of the nicest apartment. That's the one. And it does things like, um, at least I'm pretty sure, um, it's unique to the gang. Because um, if you notice, at night, your building will glow the color of your gang. Mm. So, like, we have pink lights outside that building at night. Because mm. I'm pretty sure I was talking to somebody online before who wasn't seeing it glow pink at night. They were seeing it glow a different color. So, like, oh, it must be kind of tuned to the gang, which is an awesome little feature. But, uh, yeah, because so many people like who've been playing it for any length of time have enough money that they've bought that thing by now. 
in any lobby, there's going to be four or five people who have their places there. So when you come out of the building there's going to, or go into the building, there's going to be people out there. And like you said, by and large, like unless you go out your way to get into a server where it's just you and your gang, um, your yeah, your odds are you're going to run into some arseholes. Like I've had some myself, Ben, and Dan once had like an hour and a half long war of attrition against one fucker in a tank because we would not, we refused to leave until we took down the tank. Yeah, it's just like the idea that people are on there, you know, go on, it's like, oh, I'm not on today's GTA online, and I'm going to ruin someone else's experience. No. It's just, no. I find it a bit, yeah, so... There are penalties for different things, like if you start blowing up someone's yeah, car... Yeah, into a bad sport, and then... And you also get incentivized to be a good sport, that we don't do any unfair play and stuff like that, you get bonus money every day. Yeah. Um, like... You know, unfair play be like, you know, if you're doing a race and you blow up someone's car as well. Mm. Uh, see what else I picked up the Uncharted collection. Mm. So. The Nathan Drake collection, which I've been playing a little bit of as well. You know, I never had a PlayStation before. Now, never had any of them. Heard much and much about Uncharted them. Uncharted would be the like the big PlayStation franchise that you have no experience mm. of, probably. No experience. And of course, I've got the four uh, Thieves End. Pretty hard, so I said, okay, better check out what there's already, so... Yeah, you sure. kind of, you, you had some very manly feelings about uh, that uh, Uncharted demo at E3, didn't you? You were watching that with us. Yeah, all right, yeah. Yeah. I was a bit all right. So, yeah, I'm playing it through, like, I mean, for... You, this, this, it seemed to me the reason I recommended it to you in the first place was it's right in that soft spot of things you enjoy uh, in between Indiana Jones and that Tomb Raider game that came out. Because that Tomb Raider is very much like lifted from Uncharted. No, I know. Much as in the original Uncharted game is lifted from the old Tomb Raiders before it went on to kind of be its own thing. Mm. But no, I enjoy it so far. I mean, the first one, I'm like, obviously I'm doing the first one first. Um, and that's what, PS3? Three. Yeah, they're all PS3. Obviously, and it, like, I mean, for a game as old as it is, it looks, like, the real that looks pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's, it's I want to say 2006, 2007, without looking. Because like, uh, I remember when, like, very early on in my kind of PS3 playing, Uncharted was a thing. And it wasn't something I hopped on because no one around me was playing it. Like, it's, like, there's, it's, it feels kind of when you play some of the more kind of modern stuff, like it would be the surfing of gimmicks and bells and whistles and that. It feels very cut down and very simple and plain. And that, but at the same time, you know, there's beauty and simplicity. I'm enjoying it. I'm burning through them there nice and quick. Um, yeah, like so it does. It does uh, bear mentioning that Uncharted One is the lowest rated of the three. Yeah. Uh, by Metacritic accounts, anyway, this one is kind of like mid eighties, whereas. Um, Two is considered the peak, and then three is considered like not quite as good as two, but still better than the first one. Mm. So if you're enjoying one, there's a good chance you're going to be well and proper hooked by the time you're playing Uncharted Two. I also picked up Crash and Stone. Yes. So what games haven't you been playing this week, yeah. Brian? So. Uh, for those who don't know, Hearts of Stone is the first of the two expansion packs for The Witcher. Now the two of us have uh, the season pass. So because of that, we've already paid for it, so we're getting it now. Exactly. We're not having to pay for it again. Yeah. Um, oh, it's only a ten on its own on PSN. Yeah, and then it's oh, what? Then it's if you go in to buy it physically, it's about twenty euro for de- twenty euro for a download code and two Gwent decks. No, it's supposed to be forty. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. More expensive than you think. It's a full hundred twenty-five yeah. dollars. Oh, you're still playing. You're still gonna buy it. At Probably. Some point. Yeah. Um, Despite having the season pass, you already have Hearts of Stone. It's just you're such a sucker for Gwent. And cool, cool, cool merchandise and special editions, like. 
But uh, yeah, came home, had a queue up to download, went to go open up the game, haven't played it in a bit because I finished the campaign, went into New Game Plus, and, and the New Game Plus I'm just about, for those who have played I'm just about reaching Novigrad um, on my New Game Plus of it. And uh, so I booted up, ready to go, hard to stone, oh, the opening screen where you have Rod kneeling beside a fire with the main menu there, it's all different than you, it's girl grab the concluder and better gear, with cool face tattoos that we don't understand yet. <laughs> and I uh, booted the game, I was like, okay, go and pick up the, the quest pop, and so I'm level 45. On the new game plus, so it reboot kind of 30 is the new one on the new game plus, so I'm technically level 15. And um, so, yeah, recommend a level, level 62. <laughs> so, without actually being locked out, because technically you can't. I can't mission. start it, but I get creamed. Yeah. I basically, the way I've looked at it, I'm going to pretty much have to finish the base game again. Yeah. Like, game plus from what I, I, like, from when I played Witcher, I was able to handle. Missions that were about eight levels above what I had. Yeah, like yeah, like if I if I was on a roll because like you've seen I like um, I like the my strength of that game isn't like the crafting or anything like that. Like you are fucking like you have no like, idea. Yeah, crafting. Uh, not that I have inventory. not that I have no idea. Well, I don't have to craft but in yeah. you have no idea how to manage I have little because again I'm not an RPG guy. Yeah, but what I was excellent at in it was the combat. No, you're much better than me at combat. Yeah. Because like I could go through entire like waves of combat without being hit once, um, my like timing, and that's just from playing like melee combat games. Because like, this you, is you way more simplified. Counter attack, haven't you? In which oh, so many counter attacks. Yeah, I never managed to do a counter attack. Yeah, so many counter attacks. I just fucking spam quite in the shield spell and just fucking wail on dudes and yeah. Like but you were amazed when I had gotten as far as I had and had actually never cast Quen before. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like I, I'm so reliant on Quen. Like yeah. Whereas I was using Igni for the first while, which is the fire one, because I, I just like I just like setting uh, some earth on fire and burning my enemies before me. But gear. You do have gooder gear than me, but um, I still have to go back and finish that. But at least because I haven't gone to the new game plus, I'm probably leveled up enough that I could take you on Hearts of Stone. Yeah, take on Hearts of Stone. Which um, is a bit it's just again, I've got so much on my plate at the moment, games wise, like. I still have to start. I still have it sitting up on the shelf. I still have to start until dawn, and I'm really excited to play it because again, horror guy. And apparently, it will only take me like six to eight hours to beat it once I play it. Like it's very short, mm-hmm. so I must actually get on that soon enough. But um, I suppose yeah. So that's the game you haven't been playing. So I'll talk about a couple of things I've been playing, and you've been playing two or two or three of them anyway. But uh, the first thing I've been playing, this is one you haven't yet anyway, is uh, Minecraft Story Mode. Telltale which is the new Telltale Games series, and like, look, haven't they done it wrong? There's this is the thing, right? There's gonna come a tipping point, kind of like with Marvel movies. There's gonna come a tipping point where there's just too much Telltale. Around the time you get Marvel Telltale, because as I pointed out before, I don't know if it was when I was still on with you or when it was I was still doing the show with Mark, is that they keep making these games and taking on more and more projects, and they have yet to fix their physics engine because there's still like. In Game of Thrones in particular, I noticed it more than any of the other ones, except for maybe the Vita version of The Walking Dead, where there's just problems with textures loading in, where they just all of a sudden, they're really blurry, and then all of a sudden they pop, rather than having been there the whole time. Now, I will say, before I get into the meat of Minecraft story mode, is that this is the one that had the least amount of problems with the kind of uh, assets popping in and stuff like that. It looked brilliant. It looked really, really nice. Um, so basically, yeah, it seemed like a weird project at the time that you take this game that's all about kind of player agency and the player creates their own story by giving themselves projects, this Minecraft. Like, obviously, there are things like you can go to the nether and 
gets up there and you can fight the ender dragon there is some sort of progression to it but generally speaking you don't ever have to do any of that you know what i mean like most games are driving you towards a goal the whole time but minecraft is just happy for you to never go into the net or never so go into the end anything like that yeah they don't care Hashtag hardcore central. <laughs> so um when the Telltale announced they were doing Minecraft Story Mode, I was like, okay, in one respect, no-brainer, because anything with Minecraft on it is going Go to make, make a bajillion dollars. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, does it really need a story Do mode? And then I started seeing things like the voice cast include Patton Oswalt and Brian Posehn, and I was like, ooh, this is interesting. So the story, basically, without kind of uh, giving so much away, is that like in this world, because now there's lore to the Minecraft world, there is an ancient team of warriors who took down an ender dragon a long time ago and everybody loves them and stuff like that. And then there's these kind of uh, team of young, uh, young rapscallions who are builders themselves, uh, including Brian Hussain and uh, Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt being the main character, Jesse, who are kind of like they're aspiring builders and they kind of look up to these heroes of old and stuff like that. And they're going to this convention where they get to build something to try and compete to become the best builder, win a prize. And one of the legendary warriors is appearing at this convention and stuff like that. And then, not to kind of um, spoil things for people who still intend on playing it, but kind of stuff goes wrong and an adventure, adventure begins. But uh, one thing I was not expecting from it, even though the voice cast are great comedians, is just how act, like properly funny it is. I was expecting, like, if it's going to be Minecraft, it's going to be geared towards children. So a lot of the humour is going to be very, very on the nose, I thought. But, like, some of it is just, like, it's really, like, some of it is very, very silly, and then some of it is subtle. It's, like, it's good, and it kind of, um, how would I put it? It kind of, like, it pays enough fan service to the lore of Minecraft that, um, that... Uh, people who really enjoy Minecraft and might necessarily enjoy Telltale games will enjoy it, but it's still got the mechanics of a Telltale game, so people who love the Telltale games might get into Minecraft this way, or might, you know... Um, it's a good crossover. Yeah, it, it, do, it, it does both. It does the Telltale game, and it does the Minecraft game, without really ripping off either. Without losing that now either one. Yeah, you get the kind of the best of both worlds there. So... Okay, Miley. Um... So yeah, like I definitely would recommend. It's only the first chapter, so with these things where there's going to be five or six chapters released every couple of months for the next year, um, it's hard to definitively say that it's going to be worth your time by the end of it all, based on one, because you're only just seeing like a small slice of the game, and obviously because they know it's the chapter that goes first, this is the chapter that's going to sell people on a season pass. Yeah. So it's kind of not representative at all of the final product by the end of it, and I think that's kind of I wouldn't say that's deliberately what Telltale Games are trying to do, but I would say that's the kind of, like, from a purely cold capitalist point of view, that's an excellent idea. Give the game out a bit at a time, so if it all goes shit in the end, people have already bought in. The money is already paid. It's worth you know so I mean? far. That's not like The Order 1886, where because that whole game, your favourite game, because that whole game came out at the same time, people realised it was shite, so a lot of people who hadn't pre-ordered didn't buy it. Smart move, people didn't pre-order it. Yeah, so, look, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I think I had more fun with it than I had with the first two chapters, say, of Game of Thrones. 
and now I enjoyed Game of Thrones. I enjoyed Game of Thrones, and I still have to go back and beat the last two chapters because uh, the final chapter, oh no, it's the final chapter of Tales from the Borderlands coming out soon, yeah. apparently, um, which I still haven't started. I have that. I don't I still haven't started. Seen the chapters that apparently, that's good times. It's, it's good, it's good it's, times. It's, it's a lot of fun. Like, uh, Jim, Jim Sterling really likes it. Like, the humour is really good. Um, so, yeah, if you like Telltale games, if you like Minecraft, um, it's probably something to look into. It's out on the PlayStation Store now worldwide. Um, another game I've been playing this week, and this is one you've definitely been playing because you're holding the sticks in your hand right now. We've been playing it. That, oh, yeah, that's not going to be fucking annoying at all for anyone listening. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Um, Brian, since the start of this podcast, because we're sitting in the room that has like all my Xbox stuff around, and uh, yeah, Brian has been holding the drumsticks for Rock Band since the start. He's put them down there because he, he's gotten scolded. But uh, we've been playing some Rock Band 4 this week. Now, I haven't picked up a plastic guitar for a Rock Band or Guitar Hero since about 2008, <laughs> and I have never... Uh, full disclosure, I've never played a Rock Band game. Well, I for one evening I played guitar on Rock Band 1 uh, at a family get-together. Because my auntie had it on the uh, it would be Xbox 360. Um, <clears throat> so apart from that, like I've never played the drums in it. I've never done Vox on a game. I've like, played a bit of Sing Star at different parties back in the day. But you know what I mean? Never had the full Rock Band experience. So, like, my before we kind of get into the, the fun or lack of fun we've been having with different things, um, what I would say, just based on what I've read and what I've looked into, is that, look, if, you're, if you've bought all the rock bands before and you're looking for something entirely new, that's not what you're getting. It's just more rock band. Um, the mechanics aren't all that different. If it don't face it. There's a, yeah, there's a couple of things, like the new solo mode on it, which is really... I really like that. Um, but I was kind of in and of two minds. Um, to explain the solo mode, it's basically... You know the way the, the rock band guitar has the five buttons at the top, five buttons at the bottom. So if you're... If a solo mode... If solo mode is enabled... When it goes into solo mode, you can kind of follow some prompts and kind of freestyle a guitar solo, which feels cool. You feel like Eddie Van Halen. I love that. I was really, really enjoying it doing the first day, shredding away on my plastic guitar, headbanging away. But uh, the downside of that then, at the same time, is I'm someone who, like, I feel like such a fucking dig about it, but I really want to hear the song. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really like if I'm if we're playing Arabella by Arctic Monkeys or if we're playing um Run to the Hills, Iron Maiden, I want to hear the actual song. So if solo mode is enabled, the solo, the creative kind of freestyle solo goes over where the actual solo and the song is, so you don't get to hear that. Which is kind of a little bit like I don't know what other way you can do it. Yeah. But it, that's kind of a little bit disappointing sometimes. But I suppose that's why the thing is there that you can switch it on and off, as you will. And it is kind of the tutorial I find is was very very good at explaining that to me because the, like the first time we played a song and it came up I had no fucking idea what to do and then Tom was trying to hear one I had no idea what to do Dan had no idea what to do you would have had no idea what to do but the tutorial is actually very good and concise at explaining exactly how each thing works on it. You know, I suppose you need to be. Is there? Yeah. Oh, I know there's the, the drum fills. There's always been those. Well, no, it's, it's literally at the... Well, it's only, I've only come across like twice at the end of songs where it's just a bit where it's like the button is on. Like, you, you've seen how a guitar rock band game looks. You have the little highway to pedal or whatever and the, the button prompts come along with it. Then it's just all five of them open. It's just hitting like crazy. So oh, yeah, no, that's, just, they don't, they, they've been on previous ones, as far as I know. All right, fine. As far as I remember. No, I think because when, yeah, when I saw it, I remember seeing it before. I think that's the one where you can just hit anything yeah. in any order, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could do that on old ones, but like, don't quote me on that. 
But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And um, what's really cool for rock band fans as opposed to Guitar Hero fans is that you have the old songs hmm. bought as DLC and it's tied to the account you still use now on Xbox One if you have an Xbox One or if you're going from PS3 to PS4. That library is there for you now still. You don't have to rebuy the songs. I'm like, Ghost, who never had a rock band game and now we've gone and bought a rake of songs that we used to buy. Like, guys, just to, just to kind of run you through it, there's 1,500 songs, I think, I read are there from day one, right? And we went, oh, sure, look, we'll go and highlight a couple because you can add them all to a wish list. So we go and highlight a couple that we'll buy either today or later on. And we got to the end of the list yeah. and we had 148 songs that we want. So we're going to have to very gradually add two euro a pop. Um, so we're going to have to wait. I got it on Xbox One because, well, one, um, I don't have a lot of games on Xbox One. So it's nice to be able to actually crack that thing out for something that isn't Sunset Overdrive for once. Yeah. And two, because it was nearly fucking impossible to find it on PS4. But I suppose that's, again, PS4 has 90% of the market share in Europe. So that would make sense. Yeah. Um, and then typically though as I bought it on Xbox One ordered it and this was my good customer service experience from GameStop.ie they had it to us within about 48 hours yeah, I couldn't believe it was that fast yeah um, I knew it was shipping from Ireland but I still thought you know Jesus didn't take their time about shipping it um, and literally the very next day I was walking around beneath uh, there's a nice game shop there called I want to say it's called Player One Gaming it's really really cool they've got like old games and they've got ah, good customer service anytime I've been in there I picked up Mortal Kombat 1 for the SNES there not so long ago but uh, I went in there and what was the first thing I saw on the shelf PS4 Rock Band Rock Band 4 Band in the Box because we had to buy the Band in the Box version because we had none of the equipment if you have from what I understand if you have Xbox 360 I'm not so sure about PS4 but you have Xbox, if you had an Xbox 360 the equipment carries over as well so you can get an adapter for your old equipment that will work on the Xbox One no, I'm not so sure, sure that's the same for PS4 and PS3, and it's certainly not the same for Guitar Hero. So, like, you can... Sad, if, you're going, if you're going to Rock Band 4 from Rock Band 3, you might be more tempted, like, just to pick up the game, because you can save yourself a hell of a lot of money. A hell of a lot of money by not buying the instruments. <laughs> um, and you can... You'll have your DLC already sitting there. But, like, how has your uh, Rock Band experience been, Brian? Because I feel like I've been talking about this for a while by myself now. It's um, exhausting. Yeah, because you're, you're the drummer. I'm the drummer. Here. Now, I've done a bit of the drums and, like, kind of... I'm getting... Like, I'm getting... The, the day after we played it, I played a bit here with Dan and I was just doing drums by myself and um, getting slowly better at it. Like, I can, on, on easy mode now, I can get up in the mid to high 70s, which is oh, a damn improvement on how it started. Um, but, yeah, guitar and box for easy and medium, I'm, like... Grand, solid at height, like 90s, 100s. See, drums on easy, I can do no matter. I'm in the solid 90s with those. It's drums, once you go to me, because it has a foot pedal, it requires you to do, I presume what normal drummers do with real drums, and that's to be able to hit the foot pedal and one of the toms at the same time. Yeah. And I can't work in a third limb yet with that kind of uh, simultaneity. Yeah. So it's going to take a lot, of, a lot of practice to be able to kick that off. I mean... The hubris of it, of doing it easy for one time, and then it's saying, you know, oh, we'll do Queen's of Stone Age, and we'll do My God's the Sun, and I'll do it on medium on drums. That's it, so. Yeah. But no, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. It's not reinvented. It's crazy fun. It's not reinventing the wheel, you're right. Um, if you've played these kind of games before, you've seen it before, you know how it goes. Um, and like I said before, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's a hell of a lot of fucking fun. Hmm. Like, it's not getting old yet. Yeah. You know, and I mean, 
I think a large part of them will enjoy it. Do you know what it's, it's great for? Like, we'll play it a lot now for the first couple of weeks where it's out, but then it's going to be great to crack out when we have, with like, in this house here, because myself and Brian and our mate Dan live together, and we have uh, what we call game nights here. Where we get together and yeah, like we play Cards Against Humanity, we play a bit of Trivial Pursuit because I bought Trivial Pursuit Master Edition, and those games take hours sometimes. You have to break out Risk. Uh, yeah, we have Risk, we have Pictionary. Uh, if Scrabble. if Ben's not here to make us angry, I'm gonna play Monopoly. Um, and then like we have different games like we have the Jackbox Party Pack as soon as it becomes available here or maybe before then because I do have a US PSN account as well I'm going to buy the Jackbox Party Pack 2 to get Fibbage 2 and like we like having the party game thing like we have the Wii U as well so we play some on screen co-op like or on screen multiplayer Mario Kart or um Smash Brothers, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not a Smash Brothers guy, but uh, you know, like it's nice to have something like that. And Rock Band is just another one, like because the night we started playing it, and Tom popped over after work, and he just picked up the guitar, and it was great fun, like trying to figure out how to play the game again, and mm-hmm. kind of just a different way of like rather than kind of sitting around passively and listening to music, you like it's a good way to kind of get involved, have a bit, have a bit like, of fun. Getting to hear the songs, like you know, like it's a, th- these games have always been a good laugh, and they're not like this isn't the kind of game that you buy if you're only intending to play it on your own. No. If you're going to buy one of those games to play on your own, buy Guitar Hero Live when it comes out in about a week because you just get one guitar with that. And it's a hell of a lot cheaper than the band in the box <laughs> for Rock Band 4. But uh, yeah, no, I would recommend um, look into it if you've had Rock Band before because you could save yourself a lot of money based on the package you can get. And uh, yeah, Rock and or Roll. The other game I've been playing before we moved, moved on to the news this week uh, I got in on, uh, I had the time to be able to play some of the Star Wars Battlefront beta this week. Now, you who are much more of an FPS guy than I am, um, you weren't having a hugely great time with it. You were fine with it. It was nothing you hadn't seen before. Now, in fairness, we were only, you only got access to two of about 12 two modes. Two modes and no customization. Yeah, like, it, like it is, you you as well, and this was your full disclosure to me on the day, had never been part of a beta before. So, I mean, like, to me, I don't, I, I wouldn't know, like, how bare bones is, yeah. you know, even two bare bones for a beta, I don't yeah. know. Um, but, God damn, it's pretty fucking bare bones. Yeah, look, the for, for these kind of games, betas are for two things. Testing. Server testing to make sure that like it can handle it exactly, and then the other thing is just test the base mechanics, like and that's all that was in there really. Like I at the same time like I hope they're gonna put a lot more into it, but I've been talking to a few people who like me not usually savvy with beta saying oh it's so um, it's so bare it's so dull like there's barely in it and. Not to be told what you're, you know, what's been said to me by yourself about beta is like, you know, it's a beta and that's supposed to be much in it. But I've been told by people who play Battlefront games, yeah, that's Battlefront. Yeah. You know, and I haven't played Battlefront games, but mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, our mate from GameStop who we kept bumping into last night. Yeah. In a weird kind of way, uh, in both yeah. restaurants. Uh, there's, a, there, there's a really nice guy uh, whose name escapes at the moment. He works, we must know it for sure. Um, who works in our local GameStop and very friendly to us when we come in, obviously, because. Jesus Christ, we will we'll really we'll putting his kids through college before long. Um, but yeah, we, we ran into him last night when we were out having our steaks, and then we ran into him in the cinema, and then we all happened to be going to the to- towards the toilet at the same time. This is 
on top of us seeing him every few days where he works. And then we all were going to the same boat. Yeah, well. and then Brian kind of like really worried that he definitely thinks we're a couple. <laughs> Even though I think on I've deliberately mentioned out loud a load of times around him when I'm buying things for my girlfriend. And then my concern was, oh God, does he think I mean Brian's my girlfriend? <laughs> uh, but... But well, yeah, like like he was saying to me, like because he had a sample of it, and he thought it was pretty alright. He's much more of an FPS person than me. Like his big, he was said to me on the bus home from work when I was talking to him that his big uh, look forward to is Rainbow Six Siege. Um, and even he was kind of like, you know, it's 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 not very exciting because like you, you're dropped into the maps and that, and they're literally just boxes with lumps in them. Like there's there's nothing interactive. There's nothing happens. Like you just you spawn, you run into combat, you shoot the other dudes, you die, you respawn. Mm. Like I mean, you know there was a what was it the one of the basic ones was the AC Walker one which I didn't sample um, because I got a pop warrant saying oh get a pirate that put one yeah and and you should and uh, so I just stuck with the the fucking the domination one mm -hmm. and captured the objective like and it was just so monotonous okay like um. You know, the, maybe they're going to come out with going to be shit tons of weapon mods and customization yeah, well, and updates and things like that and different mods, but I mean, it was just really fucking boring. Yeah. Well, look, I'll put it to you this way. That mode that you're talking about, the first mode, is that, and it is just that by the looks of it. Walker mode adds several levels to it that are much more exciting. Like, I'm not going like, to panic. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying you, know those, you know those pickups that are around the place? Yeah. There are pickups in that mode that enable you to get in the walker Ooh. right there are pickups in that mode that enable you as far as I know I never got one to get in an X-Wing mm. and most crucially there are pickups in that one that allow you to become Vader yeah. for a couple of minutes or Luke and let me tell you because I only got the pickup once there are a few things in this world that feel good feel as good as walking right into fire from some rebel scum and deflecting every single shot with your lightsaber it is boss. And you just walked out and they're just standing there firing at you as if it's going to fucking work. And you just boom, 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 force choke, kill them. Yeah. It is, that is awesome. Other upsides to it? It looks fucking gorgeous. I, I really think, I like, if I, in my head, thought, okay, Star Wars experience of kind of like dogfighting and of uh, fucking in the trenches in Star Wars. That's what I wanted to look like. Now, obviously, we only got to see Hoth. Was it Hoth? Was Hoth? Yeah. So we only got to see Hoth. We only got to see Hoth. So it's it's one environment, and there was another one as well. It was a more deserty environment. We only got to see a couple of environments in it. Both of them looked great, as far as I was concerned. Even better than that. Even better than the the visuals, the sound. Yeah, they did have the laser yeah, sound. Yeah, the, the laser pews, the Star Wars soundtrack as well. Like it, it just it feels like an authentic experience. Um, I like the simplicity of the hood. Mm. Like I like kind of it's all laid out very simply, very minimalist. Um, it's not kind of like you know you play some games online or anything like that, and there's just so much information on every part of the screen. I mean, there doesn't fucking need to be. Just let the kind of the gameplay speak for itself, I say. Um, but this is very boiled down. There's not a lot going on on the screen, which is great. Um, I get to enjoy the kind of the things I'm, the visuals are looking at. Uh, one of the downsides, I would say, uh, is the balancing of the walker mode in particular. Because it is nigh impossible to win a match 
unless you have the walkers. If you don't have the walkers, you're probably going to lose. It is so fucking hard to take those things down. And even by the time you do, the others are so far ahead that you're not going to pull back within the time limit. So that's kind of the balancing is the major issue I would have now because, like, obviously, if it's going to be a competitive online shooter, it needs to be as balanced as possible. Um, what else? There, like, I can't really condemn it for the limitations in terms of weapons at the moment because well, obviously, like, obviously, not, yeah, not it's, the, it's not the full game, so I can't. Yeah, I have to reserve judgment for when the full game comes out about that. And we're going to talk about my other real gripe with it because I played that beta for a couple of days and I was like right I am right on the point now where because Hitman has been delayed until next year and I had that money put aside to buy Hitman in December I would be very tempted now to switch and buy Battlefront that's where I was at after a couple of days and then one of the news stories we talked about this week uh, kind of talked me out of it and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit but that's a Star Wars Battlefront beta it's closed now anyway so if you didn't play it tough fucking luck um, so that's that's kind of the games we've been playing this week. Uh, in which case, Brian, it's that time of the week now where we will go to the news. News on the mark. In the news this week, we have a new Far Cry game, Brian. You're a Far Cry fan. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I played a little bit of Far Cry Three. I loved Far Cry Four. Uh, played the hell out of that, cleared it. Yeah, I know. I was in a mood when that game came out where it was kind of like, I can't remember what it was. I was stuck on playing something and I was like, I want to beat this before I start Far Cry. And I played a little bit of Far Cry. And sometimes um, going from, I think it was whatever it was, was a third person game or something like that. And sometimes going into a first person mode in something that moves as fast and frantically as Far Cry takes some adjusting to not get fucking motion sickness <laughs> but as you recall once I got into it it's kind of like The Witcher as well I took I took about a month to start playing The Witcher properly once I got it but once I was in I was fucking in uh, so I loved Far Cry but this new Far Cry and originally the kind of rumours were circulating that we were going to do like a Blood Dragon situation which was amazing Blood Dragon was fucking amazing yeah you loved Sergeant Rex Power T Cult you loved a bit of but what I meant was rather than kind of thematically so like Blood Dragon, I meant that it was like a small little bit of an add-on. Yeah. Add but what it looks like we're getting is this game of Far Cry Primal, which will be out in February, uh, towards the end of February uh, 2016. And it looks like it's going to be a full experience, because it's uh, going to be a full price game, yeah. this we know. Yeah, that it's not just a small, like, little bit of DLC, it's full price. Well, it's a full, yeah, but this is a full $60 yeah. game. So this is a this is the full thing, and it's set um it's set the way Ice back Age. when the Ice around in around the time of the Ice Age. What we'll the we're, go we're going to be dealing with mammoths and saber tooth tigers, and I can't remember. I think it was the giant bombcasts who were hoping that because Far Cry is always a little bit silly, that hopefully they'll be silly enough to mush up the kind of timeline in the back so that there'll be dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, forward dinosaurs. Yeah. Um. But it looks very interesting because look. Far Cry to this point, and kind of a lot of people agreed when Far Cry 4 came out, it's like, okay, this is the last Far Cry that can be like this. This was the right amount of, like, yeah. um, you know, there was a joke around at the time. It's like, oh, I really like Far Cry 3. I'd love there was more of that. Oh, well, may I introduce you to Far Cry 4? Because it's basically the same game, just a little prettier and set somewhere else. Yeah, pretty much. So, it kind of, Far Cry 4 was the last time they could probably do something like that without being accused of Assassin's Creed Syndrome. And being under the same studio, we'd be very quick to say it was Assassin's Creed Syndrome. Um, 
So, it's good that they're trying something different, because, like, one of the things that's associated with Far Cry traditionally is just lots of guns, boomy, boomy, shout time. And now, obviously, there's not going to be guns, we're going to be talking about a lot of ranged weapons, we're going to be talking about spears, we're going to be talking about bow and arrow a lot. Uh, They're the only kind of weapons we saw in the little trailer. There's a part of me that really worries that this is just going to... Like, before I knew it was going to be a full-price game, there's a part of me that was worried it was basically just going to be, you know, Shangri-La missions from Far Cry 4. Yeah, now... Fleshed out, and they were really annoying. Yeah, they were. Uh, Um, But I don't know now, I mean... There's scope here to do something really interesting. Yeah. Um, I would hope they're less like the Shangri-La missions and more like those Himalayas missions. Yeah, they were where you have the bow and arrow because they were a bit badass. Yeah, they were pretty good. Um, so I hope they're a little bit more like that. Uh, but like, I'm I'm really excited by it because I don't want to play Far Cry Four again because no. I already played Far Cry Four. Yeah. So like I want to try game. something new uh, and hopefully not have the same fucking radio terror thing that like all Ubisoft games must have. That fucking radio towers in Far Cry Four, and like I said, grand because once they don't do that they again in that series, Far Cry Four, there were radio towers in Far Cry Three. Yeah, there were cell towers in Watch Dogs. Mm. There are towers to climb in Assassin's Creed as well. Yeah. even in the driving game, the crew, Brian, you drove up to satellite towers to unlock mm-hmm. part of the map. So let's just leave that where it is. Then buried, hopefully, for now, even though I'm Look, imagining Assassin's Creed, or Assassin's Creed Syndicate probably has them this year. But Yeah, you'd be playing Big Ben. So Far Cry Primal comes out in February. I'm really excited about it. I'm interested. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, it's a wait and see. I don't think I'll be rushing out to put a pre-order on it. But uh, I'll be watching this one, yeah. shall we say. So, like, you know, as a... I'm not a big Far Cry fan, but... Like, as, a Far Cry fan. as it comes in. Yeah, indeed. Um... Next news story, Brian. Following on from something we talked earlier, I played the battle, uh, the Battlefront uh, beta last week. Battlefront. I was, yeah. Then Battlefront announced it had a uh, fifty quid season pass, and I decided to tell them to fuck off <laughs> with their fifty quid season pass. Uh, now this season pass, you're going to get a lot of work, like a lot more kind of maps and stuff like that unlocked. So it's basically the map pack kind of thing that the likes of a battlefield. Got it. Call of Duty, you were charging fifteen dollars for a map pack, and people were going monkey nuts. Yeah. So like, you know, calling what out here? What is this? Releasing, you know, essential game content, charging you for after the back. Way back at the beginning of the the DLC, ongoing DLC rant that happens now, with people when people are asking, you know, I've already have I not already paid enough for the game? You know, and yet here I am shouting out more. And I mean, sometimes I find the DLC is worth it a bit. Yeah. When there's enough in the base, look, I like I'm start I'm starting to really lose my wick with some of these DLC things because you're very unhappy about Fallout. I'm very unhappy about Fallout. Not so much that I like. I don't think that Fallout is going to have. Amazing DLC. Amazing DLC, but I think the absolute fucking cheek of saying we don't know what the DLC is, but trust us, it's probably going to be really good, and even though we don't know ourselves what it's going to be, we can tell you it's definitely going to be worth $30. I think that's a bit fucking much for me. Um, If I buy it, it's going to be a while after they actually announce what it is, because I don't believe in putting my money to support practices like that. Keeping season pass is a mystery for no real good reason. There's no reason they had to announce the season pass now. Well, see, I've been thinking about this, and I've been wondering kind of about it, because, like... You know, without 
you know, going on blind allegiance uh, to the flag of the Tessa. Um, I'm thinking about and realising that Scarlet didn't have a, a season pass, and Fallout didn't have a season pass, but they all had massive DLC packs that eventually came out. Yeah. And a fair one, they were, they were months down the line, and I mean, if you think about this whole season pass thing has come in really since Skyrim, since the last time they did a game, so... I'm kind of wondering in a sense, are they being like, have they made this game and crafted this game and they're putting the fish and touch on and they're getting ready to go and they're saying, okay, then we sit down for a cup of tea and then we start thinking about our TLC to put into it. And then are they being told, okay, yeah, by the way, um, we're not going to charge for individual things like this. We have to have seeds to pass it because every game has a season to pass it. Yeah, regardless if there's something but to even if that, even if that's what happened, still the idea of announcing the price and announcing that it's available for purchase before they even know what it is. Like, it's still incredibly predatory. And like, because there are going to be people who just love uh, anything with Fallout on it who are going to buy it even if it turns out to be shit. And it doesn't matter what their track record is with doing well with DLC packs in the past because you could say... It's not so much... Like, to, to, put, it, to put it this way, right? If uh, Francis Ford Coppola offered a season pass for Godfather movies after Godfather 2 because he didn't know what Godfather 3 was going to be and you went, oh look, Godfather 1 and 2 are going to be great. Godfather 3 is probably amazing as well. Yeah. And then you paid your $50 yeah. and Godfather 3 came out and then you wanted to jump off a bridge for spending your $50 on it. Something like that. I, you know know, I, mean? I know where you're coming from in the sense that it's, it's a horrible precept. I uh, absolutely agree. Uh, absolutely agree with that. It's not like the way I'm looking at it. Hardy like is kind of the marketing arm or the sales arm of the test that you're kind of attempting to conform to the established precedent and have it match up with the fact that you know ten hard guys who built Fallout are like, listen, we built Fallout, give us some time for a bit of DLC, and are we now in da- are they in danger of starting a horrible new precinct? The thing about it is, though, I wouldn't eat like. What I would say about that is, fuck it, even if that is the case, because there are a lot smaller studios who do better, like, who do better information campaigns regarding their season passes, uh, and they would really, they'd be people in a financial situation where they would feel more pressured. Say CD Projekt Red, for example, who don't have that fuck you Bethesda money. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, Warner Brothers helps them out with publishing their games and stuff like that, but at the same time, they're not a big fucking Activision, they're not a Ubisoft, they're not a Bethesda. So you would imagine, look, if anyone's going to try and get people's money before they figure out what it is, it's going to be a smaller studio like that. Not the people who have enough money that they're not that fucking desperate to get the $50 now or the $30 now. Bethesda aren't going to go under if they wait six months to announce the season pass. You know what I mean? I don't think you guys have done that yet. They have done that and no season pass after the release. I was trying to think about this. Bioshock had a season pass and they had the titles... Yeah. But we didn't know anything about it. Now, what I did with that is what I'm going to do with Fallout. I did not buy it until I saw the first trailer for Burial Sea. I didn't buy the season pass for, for Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, because you didn't play Burial Sea until I told you to play Burial Sea. Yeah. Because um, I was very So it's not... Game. Look, they're not the first to do it. But my thing, kind of like my kind of stance on it for the consumer, and this is both as kind of someone with money riding on these kind of things and as someone with like an economics background and stuff like this, the only way to stop this becoming accepted practice is to not fucking buy it until they announce it. At the very least. Or end of Alexander and all of those. But this is this is why season passes and DLC have become accepted practice. Because there's enough fucking goons who'll pay for it without knowing anything about it. Now look, some people feel really burned by the Batman season pass. Uh, and I bought the Batman season pass, but there was information about that. Uh, it was my own 
tough look if I didn't like it because I knew a lot about that season pass before I put any money on it. You know, I knew pretty much all I needed to know about um, the Witcher's season pass yeah. before I got it. I knew the kinds of stuff that they were going to be releasing as weekly free content for people who didn't even have the season pass. And those news stories came out about, you know, how big the expansion passes are going to be for Witcher 3 when they come out. So I knew all that. Um, but this idea that, and I've talked about it before, that it's just like, well, we don't even know what it's going to be. So no matter how much they say, oh, trust us, it's going to be worth $30 and stuff like that, they don't actually know that. Hmm. So how can you set a price on something that doesn't exist yet? Because the price of something should, in an ideal world, this isn't an ideal world, but should be based on the quality of the product. Obviously, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 exists to contradict that completely. Pony talk. Uh, talk, yeah. Like, could you say there's a... Like, I know we're getting off the answer and we'll move on swiftly, but could you say there's a parallel there to how every year we see after Glass and Bury or Electric Picnic, they usually go on sale, tickets on sale for next year, we yeah, see no, uh, acts announced. And there's there's a constant debate that goes on with people. Yeah, and there are some people, you see... Buying a ticket not knowing who's playing. Yeah, and there are some people who do that, but, like... Is there a problem? Yeah, but see, the problem, the problem with that is that you're not going to get the situation that you could get with games. And the problem with DLC for games, ultimately, is that people are accused, uh, a lot of studios have been accused of cutting out stuff that they probably originally planned to be in the game to sell, sell off as DLC. Now, obviously, Bethesda haven't thought of what they're going to do for the Fallout DLC yet, but even supporting the season pass before they've announced it still kind of reinforces that they're right to do something like that. Yeah. I don't want to set that precedent. You know what I mean? Like, who's to say something like, not necessarily Bioshock. Bioshock's literally the only one I can think of that I bought DLC chapters for. How do you know that Burial at Sea wasn't going to be on the disc? Like, it probably, based on the themes and stuff like that, it probably wasn't going to be. Mm. But I would say they had a good fucking clue that they were going to do it, considering how that neatly that ties everything up. Mm. That wasn't something that was thought of a spur of the moment sort of thing. Mm. And there are a lot of other kind of, you know, like with uh, Call of Duty and stuff like that, like map packs. It's like, they're probably going to include some of those on the disc, but they went, we can actually make an extra $15 a head if we take that out and sell yeah. it later. So, <laughs> like, I just, I, from a consumer standpoint, I don't want to put my money behind those kind of practices unless it's something I'm 100% happy with. Yeah, that's that's just kind of my stance on it. Uh, video game actors, voice actors, um, the Nolan Norts of the world. Troy Bakers. The Troy Bakers. The, um... Oh, Really quick for balance. Oh my god, the two of them are fuck. Ashley Johnson, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I am class. Grant, uh, yes, video game voice actors have voted overwhelmingly to a uh, not to go on strike but to approve strike action uh, with SAG AFRA. Um, this is over a dispute. I don't know if you've been uh, keeping up with this dispute, uh, Brian, have you? Not for me. Right, so what's, what's going on at the moment is basically video game voice actors want, it's kind of a bit gauche to say they just want more money. But what they want is more money under very specific circumstances. Um, as it stands now, video game voice actors don't get royalties for games going massive, mm. right? And one of the proposals, the most controversial one it seems, 
um, that studios are like, oh, will you fuck off with that, is the idea that you'll get a small kind of royalty check when a game passes two, four, six, and eight million units sold. Yeah. Which, as someone pointed out, not many games do. I, uh... And if you look into it, the voice actors in question aren't even, it's not like they're asking for millions of dollars. 825 bucks it, and 50 cents. Yeah. With a total cap of $3,300. Yeah. Less than three and a half grand, like. Yeah. So that's, that's about 3,000 euros. That's less than 3,000 euros, really. Yeah. That's what they're asking for, which doesn't seem all that unreasonable. And I think the main reason the studios don't want it is because they don't want to set the precedent for like future negotiations where they up that, I imagine. That's less than two and um, The other thing that they want to introduce are things like... Um, stone kind of uh, Stone to pay. Because what's happening at the moment, and this wasn't something I was aware of until this story came up, is that there's a lot of people who are contracted just to do video game voice acting, and they come in and then find out that there's motion capture involved in it. Mm. Um, so that's not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think, okay, no, these people should be fairly compensated. Like, it is hard work. Like, if you watch, there's videos online of Troy Baker doing motion cap for Joel in Last of Us, and kind of like it seems like a real hard slog. You know, a lot of work is being done there. And like Troy Baker, Nolan North, and fucking Ashley Johnson, all these people, they Jennifer really. Hale. What? Jennifer Hale as well. I was trying to think. I was, in my head, I was like, Mass Effect, Mass Effect, Mass Effect, fucking uh, Lady Chef. But, uh, Fucking, like it's it's a situation where they should be fairly compensated because they do an awful lot of work yeah. and like the the counter to that that people are saying is like well it can't be judged like movies because people don't buy games based on the person that's in them which is fair enough there yeah. are people will go see a Tom Cruise movie because Tom Cruise is in it yeah no one's picking up Call of Duty Advanced Warfare because Troy Baker is the main character. What, Which is like what, it's a fair observation, but not a fair reason to deny them what is a minimal, like a minuscule yeah, amount I mean, of money like, in the grand scheme. Like, you, like that argument would have parity if you were, if you had Tyler Troy Baker coming up and saying I should or Nolan North, Nolan North, what the biggest name in video game voice acting. Yeah, he, Troy Baker's right up there he's now. He's right up there now, but like Nolan North probably the, the going back to like yes, yeah. he was there. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't see Nolan North turn around saying, "Yeah, no, I'm gonna want like seven million per video game," you know. They're not looking for movie star wages, yeah. you know, but I mean, they are actors, mm-hmm. you know, voice actors, but I mean, with mocap working as well, they're, they're put, we're pushing out here further and further. Like, yeah, and then like what people as well will say, well, look, it's not like movie stars wherever they go get that, because like video games are its own thing. The example people are throwing out is Kiefer Sutherland did the voice of Big Boss for mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid Five, and he probably got a rake of money because he's Kiefer Sutherland, that's because he's like, he's... A fucking star for me, but at the same time, I don't think anyone picked up Metal Gear Solid Five because Kiefer Sutherland was in it. His video games are different. Gary Oldman's never asked to call it I think is it Sam Worden? People buy it, it for the mechanics and the intellectual property. They don't yeah. buy it for the name. Yeah. You know, even though like I'm, uh, if I'm interested in the game and I find out Troy Baker's in, I'm like, oh great, that he's gonna be amazing in it. Because, like, Troy Baker is in some of my favourite games the last couple of years. Yeah, but then like, again, at the same time, like, you know, nobody buys the game because the, the head developer is Cliff Blazinski. Or, you know, uh, Tim Schafer. Or, God forbid, Peter Molyneux. You know, I mean... Well, no, I, I, I'll, I'll buy games Tim Schafer's involved in. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then I'm, I know I'm the, the minority. Like, I kind of... Like, okay, there, there can always kind of be a segment of that, like, you know, yeah. but I mean, like, that doesn't rule the mainstream. I mean, like... Who who's the big names behind Call of Duty 
Blops 29 or yeah. Cody Goose or something like that, you know, the big heavy projects. Who's the who's the big celebrity name behind Assassin's Creed Syndicate? Yeah. You know, Brock Lesnar, apparently, if you saw some of the concept art. <laughs> did, you, did you not see this? There's concept art around the time of E3 that showed two men wrestling in like Victorian kind of fight club kind of thing. And one of them was legitimately Brock Lesnar. Now, I don't know if Brock Lesnar's actually going to be in the game or it's just someone wanted to draw someone hardy hardy looking. But literally, it, it's not just like, it's not just like, that guy has, the phys- has a physical resemblance to Brock Lesnar. No, no. They had the skull tattoo on their back as well. So it was like it really looked like uh, Brock Lesnar beating up Frank Mir, which he was very good at when he was in UFC. Uh, so that, 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 that's, just, that's just an aside, but that's very, very strange indeed. So we'll move on from that. Like Again, um, I don't buy games just because of who the voice actor is, but at the same time, I really appreciate the good work. Like that, um, Bioshock Infinite wouldn't have been the same without that, the strong voice casting in it. The same with Last of Us wouldn't be the emotional gut punch it was without that voice casting. Uh, so, like, I do think they should be, you know, fair, fair day's wage for a fair day's work. Mm. Um, and another one, and this was kind of, we talked last week, Brian, about how Xbox could have a hot streak this Christmas because they've got the Halos coming out. They've got Gears of War, a real game for real men based on a real war, real guns is after coming out as well. Um, so they could have a Christmas where they are the top selling console for a couple of months because PlayStation, now that Uncharted is out, have nothing. They want them. They have nothing first party this side of January. So Sony did probably the only thing it can do, and they've announced that they're dropping the price of the 500 gig PlayStation 4 from $399 to $350. So kind of people had asked, you know, when is the price coming? And some people said, well, maybe they'll announce it at PSX. PSX is the PlayStation experience. It's kind of, it'll be the second year of it this year. They do kind of year-end kind of PlayStation Expo in, I think it was Vegas. But um, they thought maybe they'd announce it there or they'd announce the PS4 Slim, even though I think it's a bit too early for the PS4 Slim. Even though I was like, how much, you know, sleeker can that box it's get? It's, it's, pre- it it's pretty great. But um, yeah, so they've announced this this $50 price drop. Uh, so what, what do you think about that? What do you think that's going to do for them coming into Christmas? Now, bear in mind, it's just the the bog standard 500 gig, whereas now you've got the, there's a terabyte one. On the market, there's a lot of different bundles. So, yeah. like, what, what do you have any thoughts on this? What do you think it's going to do? Well, you... Do you still think, like, you kind of scoffed at the idea, but do you, so do you think that Xbox isn't going to have a good couple of months? I think they'll have a good couple of months. I mean, like, I think kind of. And now, I'm not saying that between now and Christmas they're going to cash Sony, but no, they're not mad not. in the head and saying. Um, like, I think they'll pick up a good few sales. Like, I think. You know, I think, like, what we're saying, like, Sony not having any hand rings on the table before January, I don't think they're particularly worried because, I mean, I can't... They're so far ahead. I can't imagine that if they were worried about it, they wouldn't have found something. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't well, imagine... Well, there were a lot of um, insider reports that they were trying to put a bit of pressure on Hello Games to drop No Man's Sky before the end of the year. But like, I can't imagine that eight, nine, ten months ago, they wouldn't have looked forward and had a plan. Well, you see... Eight, nine, ten months ago, they had a plan, and it was uncharted in November. Yeah. And then something happened that delayed that game to March. So, like, uh, the cards didn't fall the way they wanted. They're gonna have a pretty packed twenty sixteen though, because got I, Last Guardian and stuff like that. I don't as well think it's gonna year. be. And possibly announcement that there are there is some gathering uh, pace to a rumor that place uh, PSX or Paris Games Week in a couple of weeks is going to be where they announce Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. Gran Turismo which like not the game for me 
it's not your favorite game in the world either, I imagine. But at the same time, Gran Turismo fucking shifts consoles. Land of the Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo. Uh, ha, like Uncharted has never come close to selling Gran Turismo numbers. Yeah. Like I like I don't like. I'd say you could turn around and say, yeah, last part Xbox might well do better and even much better than PS4, but I don't think it's going to be you know a massive shot in the foot or anything for yeah. Sony. Like I don't think it's going to be you know the lads at Xbox and Microsoft can run around giving each other piggyback rides around the office for the next couple of months. Mm. Yeah, sure, but at the same time, <laughs> put it this way, like. Halo and a new Gears of War are like the last two cards they have to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and if they haven't recovered, like if they don't close the gap significantly, and but like as Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, has said, it's like they don't have to close the gap. They're still outperforming Xbox 360. Yeah. So like for them, financially speaking, all they're doing is winning a, a largely media-created war between the two. They're just not winning it. Yeah. Um, so like, may, they're like, not losing their jobs over. Like, yeah, it's like not that. like Nintendo and Sega in the nineties who were going for each other's fucking throats. Yeah. You know the the old uh, ad campaign. Sega does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like surely you'd want to try. You want the glory, yeah. Of it, right? yeah. Like, as much as, oh, look, we're selling better than we used to, surely you must be looking at those numbers that, like, Sony for a long time were selling, they could not stop selling PS4s, and there was no games on them, (laughs) you know, there was, like, at the start, God, it was a very poor launch line, do you know what I mean? Knack, Jesus, Knack, you can't fucking, you couldn't pay people to take Knack off, you know, trust me, I still have it on my fucking shelf. Um, FIFA 14 came out, which was a port of FIFA 14 on the PS3, it was a slightly better version, but still... Um, I think the best game that came out on the, the launch lineup for me was Killzone Shadowfall, which again was the fourth entry in a series. Like, it was really good. I really, really liked that game. But I'd say that's a, that's a poor launch lineup. But then again, what console does have a great launch lineup? The last one I can think of is fucking. I know the PS3 had uh, Heavenly Swords. Huh? And the Xbox, like, what was the last game with the Xbox One? Rise. Yeah. That Rose World one. Which I still don't want to play. Uh, Dead Rising as well. Dead Rising is very, very good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. The the all I'm saying is that PS4 did what they could. Uh, they have no games coming out, so making it slightly cheaper might make people more tempted to pick up. Because now what you could do is you could get a PS4 and a game for about the price of the Xbox One on its own. Yeah. So maybe that'll help out. Um, and, and we'll see. There'll obviously be some seasonal deals on some of the bundles, like there's a Destiny bundle. There'll be a lot of kind of, I'd imagine, a lot of kind of mom and dad, of, can I have a console? And they walk in and say, here's a console with a game, here's a console with no game. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the prices. You're going to say, okay, here we go. I mean, like, I've already got a PS4. I'd quite like to pick up an Xbox One for myself for the same kind of reasons you did. I'm not in any hurry, but, you know, I'm going to be waiting for the Microsoft price drop before I come here, like, you know. Hmm. So we want our last uh, story of the week. And what did Nintendo do? And that's uh, from the Wall Street Journal. They've reported that Nintendo NX dev kits are on the way soon. Are you familiar with the concept of dev kits? Uh, if I ever sound just vaguely about them, is Nintendo NX given... Uh, going to the developer and saying, here's how you make games for our yeah, console. Yeah, basically it's a kit, it's like, a, we say like almost a prototype version of the console that allows you to program games for the end, like the engine in it. Um, so this is very intriguing because there's been talk for a long time that 
Nintendo were going to try to kill off the Wii U because it's just it's underperforming so badly that maybe they cut and run and move on to something else before they lose their arses on it. Which is why people are worried that, you know, the Zelda that was supposed to come out this year on the Wii U has been delayed and there's no revised release date for it yet. So is it that they're holding it off until the new console comes out? They said they weren't going to talk about it till next year. If it's true that the dev kits are out now, that would lead me to believe this console is coming early 2017 at the earliest. Mm. Because you think about it, you want to give devs a year and a half-ish, oh, yeah, at least. At least. Uh, now, obviously, Nintendo care less about the dev, the third-party devs than anybody else. So, like, they launch it with, launch with all their first-party stuff, yeah. uh, and third-party support will come later for all they care if it comes at all, because it didn't come at all really with the Wii U that much. But it's interesting some of the things that are being said about it. There's a rumor going around that it is what some people had suspected that finally Nintendo are going to try do what you would have thought Nintendo could excel at better than anybody else and have a console that is both a home console and a handheld at the same time Ooh. that you can have your home console proper HD quality games like on the Wii U but then when you leave your game ports over onto the handheld thing that you can take with you and then you have like a scaled down version of the game to play when you're going away. Mm. Um, some of the reports include that it's it has been described as industry leading technology. That this thing is on a par with performance wise with the competitors, the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4. And obviously then it's the fact that it is both a handheld and a home console that probably tips it over the edge See, for them. I just, I just foresee one small problem. And to me... Like not being a mad Nintendo man like you are, mm -hmm. it just I can just foresee the problem that I feel like Nintendo have had for the past few years, and that is, will people actually want to buy it? You know, I mean, it's like you know. Put it this way, right? Well, I mean, like in the sense that kind of like you know, some absolute amazing genius out there decided and made and marketed bacon flavored condoms. Yeah, and you think yourself, that is fucking genius. What does anybody want to fucking buy them? Here's what I will say to that. What is the one thing that makes you buy consoles? It's the games. Yeah. Right? What games does the Wii U not have that everybody else has? That's third-party support. If we go and assume that these reports are true and that third-party devs are actually finally impressed with something Nintendo's produced and then, okay, we can work with this and release our games. So... Let's just make a massive assumption here. I am not basing this on fact at all. Let's assume this console comes out and third-party games that are being released on both other consoles are now released on this new NX console as well. What's the only thing left that differentiates them in terms of games? And that's first-party exclusives. And there is no one on this God's <laughs> earth that has a deeper library of first-party exclusives than Nintendo. Like, if Nintendo come out, and it seems like a fucking weird concept to say now. Nintendo come out with a console that's able to hang performance-wise with the other two, and you can buy Call of Duty, and Assassin's Creed, and all this, all these big sellers in the year. You can buy that on your Nintendo NX, but then at the same time, you can buy Zelda, you can buy the new Mario, you can buy the new Smash, you can buy the new Mario Kart. Like, I know you could say, right, by the time it comes out, people are probably going to have one console already at least. Mm. So you might say, right, in that respect, maybe because they're so far behind, maybe there's no way that it will sell. But if all three launched on the same day and I only had enough money to buy one and all the third-party games were the same so that I had to pick it based on first-party libraries, 
Nintendo's a no-brainer. Yeah, but you take out the bonus. But, but the thing is, like, Nintendo games as well are for all ages. So if I was a father, yeah. I'd have my third-party games. I'd have my shooty-shooty-pew-pew on Call of Duty. But then I'd be like, okay, I can buy one console that'll have my Call of Duty and FIFA and all this. And then my son can go ahead and play fucking Pikmin or Animal Crossing, whatever he wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That makes but it, or, or yeah, it makes financial sense to me. Yeah. So if Nintendo are actually finally trying to do it, and they're not going to like cheap out and make uh, a console that is better than the like the Wii U is better than the better performance wise than the PS3 and the 360, but it's not nearly as good as PS4 and the Xbox One. You can't get nearly the fucking quality, and the the restriction of the tablet controller really hampered a lot of uh, third party sport for it. Like third party sport doesn't really exist for it anymore. So if they can really make amends for that, Lord knows what the future can hold. And you got to remember as well that I remember reading something about Nintendo's store of wealth, how much money they have. I think it was like they can afford to lose either 150 or 250 million a year and still won't have to close down until the end of the century. <laughs> that's how, that's how much money they have. So uh, like Nintendo are going to be fine for the next while. Like if they want to make this will be I imagine this is the make or break swing. If this console completely bottoms out and fails, I think you could then finally find them find them making that decision that they might want to just be a software company and not a hardware company anymore. Mm. But time is going to tell on that one. Um, so that's the news over for this week. And because he uh, is obviously asleep because of the time difference and we couldn't get a Mark Robinson Oriental Odyssey update this oh, week. What? Oh, no, nothing's happened to him. He has been very he's concerned about the amount of alcohol he's been forced uh, Yeah, and his health, uh, because apparently there's a lot of smog there. He's uh, He can feel it weighing down in his lungs. But apart from that, we don't really have like a substantial news update worthy no, of that excellent Donald Trump intro that we usually play for him. So we're going to go straight on and talk about this week's uh, book club feature, and it's a game that's very close to both our hearts, Brian. It's a Bioshock Infinite. There are loved ones in the glory whose dear forms you often miss when you close your earthly story will you join them in their bliss will the circle be unbroken by and by by and by is a better home awaiting in the sky in Bioshock Infinite is a first-person shooter video game developed by Irrational Games and published by 2K Games. It was released worldwide for the Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 platforms on March 26, 2013. Bioshock Infinite, Brian. One of our favourite games. I I have probably on this show as well frequently said it's my favourite game of last generation. I prefer it, controversially, to the original Bioshock. You not so much. Well, no, for me, um, for me, the gut punch of Bioshock's twist is just, it's incomparable. Like, I do agree with your argument that kind of the brother won a little bit early on that, and the rest of the game, there's still a little bit. There's a fair chunk of game after that reveal, you know, so there. I would take that 
the thing about Bioshock Infinite is when you take Bioshock Infinite, the 2 DL various DLCs, and then Bioshock Original, you look at them as a unit. Yeah. Oh, sweet Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. It's, yeah. You're uh, really well, turn to piss and fucking pull out your ears. It's unfucking real. Yeah. So we um, to kind of set the tone. People who haven't played it before, I don't know what you're doing. Cool. Played yeah. it before. Came out two years ago. You should be playing them for these book club features. Uh, set in 1912, the game has a protagonist, former Pinkerton agent Booker DeWitt, sent to the floating air city of Columbia to find a young woman, Elizabeth, who's been held captive there for most of her life. Though Booker rescues Elizabeth, the two become involved with the city's warring faction. The nativist and elite founders that rule Columbia and strive to keep its privileges for the white Americans and the Vox Populi, underground rebels representing the underclass of the city. And kind of... If we're talking about the story, right, so the story begins with this guy, Booker DeWitt, being in a boat with two very mysterious people telling you to bring them the girl and wipe away the debt. Much like the start of the first Bioshock where something weird happens and you end up at a lighthouse, this weird thing happens and you end up at a a lighthouse. lighthouse, Instead of going down to Rapture this time, though, we go up. You gotta sit in your fancy chair. And we go into the sky to this beautiful oh, fucking city of good now one of the things people said about uh, the setting of rapture like rapture is a great setting i'm not going to for a second say, say it's not perfect or anything like that but something people after the first game always strive to see was rapture before the fall because you never get to see what rapture was like in its pomp in that game you never get to see kind of you know how things the fell utopia. apart in there yeah the utopia that it was supposed to be the kind of the Randian utopia that it was supposed to be. Whereas with Columbia, very much as you go through the game, the city is falling. Like you get there and everything's all pretty and you're kind of, you're walking through the city, you're looking for this girl, Elizabeth, and you make it to the the fair (laughs) and shit goes, shit goes wrong so quick. Oh, it goes wrong so quick. Like you're just kind of, I don't think it really tips the cap for this game if we explain what happens at the fair. Like you're standing there and there's a raffle. There's there's a raffle on and yeah, kind and of baseballs with a number on it, and you get the winning number. Booker gets the winning number, and all of a sudden it's revealed that there's this interracial couple that are to be pelted with the baseball. And your prize is the first throw. And yeah, you get the decision to either throw the baseball at them or throw the baseball at the dude who's telling you to throw the baseball yeah, at them. Yeah. And when you go to throw the baseball, they figure out a thing about you. There's a, a strange mark on the back of your hand that is supposed to be the mark of what is called the false prophet because there's a lot of religious overtones to this game. And from that moment on, the residents of Columbia are not your friends. Um, it gets very violent and very kind of hectic very quick there. Uh, this game... I, I, I don't have the superlatives for like, my experience with this game. so massively invested in the story. It's such an amazing story. It's complex. I mean, I'll put it like this. Like, if you look up on the Wikipedia, Wikipedia page and you look at the themes, like, the themes that are dealt with in Bioshock Infinite, I mean, the least... Well, there's American just... history, there's American exceptionalism, there's religion, race... There's things as recent, and it is in the Wikipedia page as well, as the Occupy movement with the Vox Populi. 
In addition to, from the Wikipedia page, so this paragraph always stuck out in my mind because once doing a read around and work, limited working and access to the read about it. Like, in addition to racism, the game is interpreted as tackling political and social problems as well as exploring several themes such as constants and variables, American exceptionalism, extremism, fundamentalism, nationalism, fanaticism, cultism, populism, religion, dichotomy, sameness, multiple realities, fatalism, choice, consequences, free will, hope, self-loathing, denial, rebirth, and redemption. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. A lot. I mean, there's, you get so immersed in the game, you, the stakes are real to you. Like, there is... Again, kind of, we're, we're going to take some liberties and discuss bits in the game and that. Yeah. There is one bit that's always stuck with me quite strongly from the part of the game is a bit where you meet up with Elizabeth and Elizabeth, you go off and have a bit of adventure together, domestic transport, and you get separated. Yes. And she gets snatched. And you're on your way For to reasons that will remain on. Remain. We won't go into everything, like, but there's a particular bit where you arrive more or less in the nick of time to yeah. save her, and she's strapped down, she's being experimented on, it's not pleasant. Mm -hmm. And basically, they're all like it's happened inside a big glass case that you can't get into. So you, your objective for that section is to destroy the generators that power the machine that's torturing her. Yeah. And you basically have to run around the back and hop in to these two little uh, covered alcoves where the generators are. And in each of them, there's a scientist part of the experiment. And the first time I played this, I didn't realize. The second time I did, when you rock into those little alcoves, you don't have to kill the scientists. They do yeah. not attack you. They just stand there. All you have to do is smash the machine. Yeah. And let me tell you, the first time I didn't even blink, I fucked their shit up yeah. big style. You're so conditioned to believe everything is hostile to you. Like, you've been so much... Like like those kind of American troops that went to Nam and had seen so much horror, they could distinguish friend from foe and went crazy. <laughs> it's very much that you've been under the cosh for so long in that game that just an innocent bystander, once there's someone in your proximity that innocent. isn't Elizabeth, you're like, boom. But they're not... But not even Elizabeth, but to say non-directly non aggressive. Yeah, I mean, like... You, like they're kind of without even thinking you become the red right hand of vengeance yeah but, uh, yeah, and to me as well, it's a thing that we'll talk about eventually when we do Last of Us, where at a certain point uh, in Last of Us, you'll be the same as me, where as Joel, even if it's not the most kind of overt danger to Ellie, you'll feel so defensive that you will do some horrifying things just to make sure she's kept safe, even though you don't know what's going to be. Which is what you'll do to these guys. Like you will, you have such kind of you've developed such a bond with Elizabeth, and you've been through so much horror in Colombia to that point that you're just going to fucking mince anything that gets in your way. Um, it's a fucking, it's just such an incredible game. It's such a vibrant world, and watching it gradually fall apart from kind of like it goes from um, You're fighting an interesting that, narrative, an interesting narrative tale into a swashbuckling adventure game, into for a long time in like Arcadia and stuff a horror game, mm. and then at the end um, a, a a very earnest contemplation on quantum physics. Uh, and we'll get to talking about the end in a while, but for me, if I'm to look at kind of, you know, in the benefit of kind of balance here and talk about something that might be a downside of it, a lot of people say that the middle third of the game drags a fair bit, where you seem to be going from one combat set piece to another. And some people, like, I, I was always fine with the combat in the game, but like I always found, and it's the same with Bioshock One, is that I found with this game that I started both of them, 
and I played about a third of them and really, really enjoyed it. And then you get to the middle third, as you said, and the, the gameplay in both these games, it's solid. It's yeah. solid first-person shooter, tiny RPG elements, um, you know, uh, moving from encounter to encounter in kind of a semi-linear uh, corridor passage. And it does start to grate on you a little bit around mm-hmm. that middle third. And then, as I did to both them, you, and I've said this to people I've recommended, you would put it down then, you will walk away from it for weeks. Yeah. And then you remember that that game is there and that you really enjoyed that. And other times you take a breather from the game, you're like, yeah. and it's not, not that it's repetitive or that it's done around like that, but for me, the Bioshock games have always been the stories what, that they are. Yeah, what, what the problem, I think, with what happens in Bioshock infinite in the middle of the game is that in the middle of the game in the original bioshock what happened was the problem a lot of people had was just there was so many fucking fetch quests that involved so much backtracking and like it's one thing when you feel backtracking is worth it but there was a lot of those quests, I don't know about you, in that original Bioshock, I'm like, there was no need to backtrack no. this far. There was no need for this. I did not, it would just kill time. That's what it felt like. To kill time or to try and force you to sneak past the Big Daddy twice. You know, it didn't really feel like it was necessary for it to be there. So, Ken Levine and Rational Games, they looked at that and said, okay, that's a problem people had, so we'll take out. There's not half as many fetch quests in there. Mm. The only fetch quests I can think of, uh, the only two fetch quests I can think of that take any lengthy time is there's one in Finkton mm. uh, involving the gunsmith, mm. and then there's one near the bank that involves the three things. Mm. There's three things you have to collect around the bank and the graveyard. Mm. Um, but even those, like the second one in particular, isn't very lengthy. And the first one, first fetch quest, the one for the gunsmith, actually does tell a bit, an, a very interesting bit of the narrative. Yeah. It's where you start to, like, again, this is one of those all is not what it seems, like in Rapture. Oh, oh, there are so many kind of layers and things like, if you, if I was to stop you, uh, listener, if you started playing this game and every two hours I stopped you and asked you, what's this game about? What's actually going on? There's very little chance you will know. And there's very little chance that you will have the same answer every two hours. You'll think it's something different every time. And it stands to the game as well that when you replay it, as I have many times Mm. at this point, I think I've done five, maybe six complete playthroughs in the two years it's been out. And when you play it through for the second time, it's so obvious from the very fucking start what's going on. Like, it's so... The story... Like, you talk about the story already. The story is so beautifully crafted that it's it's amazing. Like, they kind of... It's one of those ones where... Like, it's got the same mechanic that, again, some people are bothered by. Some people are bothered by the idea of vox phones or audio logs and things like that because they're like, you know why do I have to go around and collect these things? If I don't collect them, I have an incomplete view of the world. Why can't you tell it as part of the main narrative? But for me, there's so much to Columbia. There's so much to Columbia. And to me, there's so much more to Columbia that you have to tell than there was to Rapture. Yeah. Because there's so much, uh, there's so many layers to Bioshock Infinite and there's so much of it woven into American history that like, you really need to go out of your way to explain it. Uh, in these audio logs, but it's a thing that like people could blast their way through the game, have their fun with the combat and stuff like that, 
And if they don't want to go and find out, like the, people like you and me, we both have history degrees. We both have a couple of history degrees each, actually. <laughs> yeah, though that's the lo- that we are such losers like that. But we know what the Pinkertons are. We know what Wounded Knee was. We know this kind of Lots stuff. Of yeah, we know all this kind of stuff. So that kind of that doesn't need to be explained to us. But for people who don't know that kind of stuff, that needs to be explained to them first. On top of the stuff that Bioshock Infinite has done to those events well, in history. history, so all, yeah.
in the way that kind of people talk about like you know interactive game, like gaming is an interactive media yeah. and like you know people have their problems with that you know there's a debate about that and i mean like how interactive is when you're just pushing buttons and that like i mean bioshock since sets the benchmark for you become psychologically and emotionally invested in this and mm. you're interacting with it and the more the more you give to the mechanics of the game and to the process of finding Vox Mult to find out more of the world, the more you get out of it. Uh, like the first playthrough I went through where I really, really loved the game, but it wasn't quite at the point where I was willing to call it my best game of last generation yet. I played through it without collecting all the Vox phones. Mm. And I also went through it without really using the Vigors that much. Now, Vigors, for those of you who played the original Bioshock and haven't played Bioshock Infinite, Vigors take the place of plasmids. They're your stair cool Super superpowers. Powers. Now, you don't have a magical hand that shoots bees, but you do have a magical hand that shoots crows. <laughs> and you do, like, Murder there are some crows. great ones. And something we didn't realize, and it's actually, no, let's just talk about it right now. Um, last summer, I did my platinum run of this game. I have the platinum for Bioshock Infinite, which was no fucking easy get, to say the least. Because there's an easy mode, a normal mode, a hard mode, and once you beat the game once in any mode, it unlocks 1999 mode, which is the toughest one. And to get the platinum, the last trophy you need to get is to beat the game without using any dollar bill machines. Dollar bill machines being spursed out throughout the world that allow you to top up ammo and held at will, rather than rely on pickups. The one thing that we learned throughout that is how dynamic the gameplay gets when you not only start using uh, the vigors more, but start pairing them, which is something like we hadn't thought of. Was it under there is, yeah, there is a ridiculously hard boss fight in that game. It's not an end boss How fight. The, oh my god, we died so much. And then we found a guide that explained it to us. There was two powers that if we used them together... Um, Jesus, I can't even think. One of them was the charging. One of them was the charging, and one was Undertow. Wasn't it? No, Undertow wasn't Undertow the one that levitated things, was it? No, that was Pokemon Bronco. Undertow was the one where, uh, with the, the water where he snatch all the things. Oh, yes, yes, so yes. So it was yes, yes. double up the kind of velo kinetic velocity of you charging at. The, the thing, yeah. So we were able to pair the vigors together there to make the, our lives a hell of a lot easier. And by pairing different vigors, you can get different combinations of things that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you can lay more complicated traps. Like there's, um, what's the one? There's, there's one that involves. I can't think of some of their names now. I really should look at the names of the vigors and have them in front of me. Does that one to do with water? That's wonderful. That's wonderful, yeah. So you can use, uh, for example, for, yeah, for example, you can use if there's airships coming in and they're like quite powerful enemies on it, like there is a particular kind, there's like a, almost a berserker that's heavily armored and has a rocket launcher and they are fuckers to kill unless you are a really precise shot. Which sometimes I could be. You're you 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 can attest to this that once I've been playing that game for a couple of hours, I'm the king yeah, of fucking headshots. You get pretty good headshots. Yeah. Like so uh, like if you can't do that, having that undertow, like being able to blast them off the side of the ship before it even lands, is incredibly useful. But you can like pair things with shock jockey to increase the power of the electrocution. The same goes for the. Um, for any other power, really, like when you start using them in conjunction with one another, uh, it can get brilliant like uh we're supposed to be able to talk about the kind of getting towards the end here of the the main campaign and uh one thing that kind of kept me the most frustrated two things that made me the most frustrated playing the game the Just first couple of times yeah of course yes i think you said something but i forgot about it 1999 mode can be unlocked without oh yes by inserting the konami code which is incredible uh, 
well done, Ken Levine, on that. But there are two things about the game that, like, you know, some people say there are some points at which the difficulty needlessly spikes. And the two that I'm thinking of in particular are the handyman. Oh. And the airship battle, at the, which is the cul- which is the culmination. Yeah. So we'll go with the handyman first. There, are th- well, I want to say three handyman battles in the game, where they come in as part of a wave of enemies. And the one thing that makes the handyman more difficult is having to deal with them and having to deal with a massive wave of enemies. Mm-hmm. The main one that I'm thinking of here that is the absolute pain is the one at the bank. Yeah. Um, there is a glitch to stop the one dead in its tracks in Finkton mm-hmm. but uh, and the thing is the only one there's only one of them you have to fight I can't remember which one there's only one where you can't get out of the area until you've killed them I think it might be at the bank it's the bank yeah where they don't the gates won't oh, open fucking yeah. the gates won't open until you've beaten it so uh, and you have to to kill it to cause it significant damage you have to strike it in the heart and it doesn't stop for long so again it requires very precise aim or a, a weapon that deals massive damage because your vigors don't really work on it you know they shock jockey works briefly on it very, very briefly like you would have to be very good at cycling between weapon and vigor but um yeah, there's that, and then there's, as Brian alluded to, yeah, this airship battle, which is basically a very, very lengthy and difficult tower defense. Yeah. Because you don't defend against handymen, but you defend against pretty much every other type of enemy you encounter in the game. Uh, the motorized patriots who you meet in the first act of the game, who, like, are very difficult until you get the knack of beating them. Yeah. And once you get the knack of beating them, then they never cause you significant problems when there's only a couple of them. Yeah, but, but when I mean, there's like, a couple of them charging towards the thing you have to protect like four at once and then 10 or 15 yeah. base level bad guys and you know there's completely unsheltered gigantic electric pile on things in the middle of the deck and you're one dude running around trying to stop them yeah so that's where it really comes into play if to really be good with your vigors yeah. to have traps laid all over the place and that was yeah, why it was good when I was doing my platinum traps. when I was doing my platinum run and you were the Elizabeth to my booker that you were sitting there and kind of you were strategizing about what to do with traps because my priority was gunning them down so like I couldn't see what traps were being sprung so I couldn't see when there needed to be a trap put down somewhere because I was too busy gunning people before they got within a dangerous distance um and the shock trapping traps are better freezing enemies for a couple of seconds. So that you can reposition you and re- kill them. Take them down. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other thing, another character that, uh, well, two characters that uh, should not go unmentioned here. Um, the incredibly fucking petrifying songbird. You meet very early on as part of the cover art. Songbird is utterly fucking creepy and amazingly designed and stuff like that. And then there's the man himself. Zachary Hale Comstock, who is this incredible preacher, messianic figure, the main man in the city. He's everything that scares you about right-wing fundamentalism Christianity. Yeah. He's everything that scares you He is like... Might is right. He's he's Andrew Ryan if if you replace Ayn Rand with God, basically. He is just this complete zealot who is very Dr. kind Martin of... Yeah, he's very much kind of... He is Machiavellian. He is an incredible character. Yeah. Just like this crazy, racist fucking... Egoist fucking... Oh, and then you kind of... You beat the game. And well, I'm so not going to... Gameplay, you beat the, you the gameplay. Yeah, the you, game you, you end the... Yeah, 
the tower defense it ends and then you go through a closing sequence to the game it's about 20 30 minutes nearly depending on how fast you go through it yourself and not i'm not going to talk about the detail of you haven't been you need to beat this game you need to play it or you need to watch a let's play where people don't talk so that you can take it in because the ending to this game is one of the more like the the actual ending not the gameplay ending because to me Look, it's not as shit an ending to the combat as the boss battle at the end of Bioshock was because that was a real letdown. This was kind of, at least it felt like you overcame something quite difficult. Uh, But at the same time, I was still like, I would have preferred something else. I don't have an an option to put in there. I can't think of anything myself. But anyway, this closing sequence that it is, I wouldn't say it's a cinematic because you are moving around and interacting with characters, but it's not like, it's the end of you using guns and vigors. Yeah. Um, and this 20 minute thing that ties everything up and explains finally what's going on and everything becomes apparent and not so apparent at the same time is one of the best and certainly one of the most mind bending endings to a game I have ever experienced like when I when I finished the game for the first time I just fucking sat there staring at the screen as the credits rolled just in such joy and mild I I don't want to say huge because it might put people off but mild confusion (laughs) Um, and there's a thing that happens as well at the end that for like fans of Ken Levine and his work, there's a moment that will just warm your heart and freak you out all at once. And then comes Burial at Sea, Brian, where like I was satisfied where we left off on Bioshock no, Infinite, no, even though there are some unanswered questions. Really? I don't need every question to be answered at the end of a yeah, game. There were some things that just looked like fun references. Yeah. And, you know, it was cool to have him there. But, yeah, like, not every question was answered, but the story was satisfyingly concluded. Yeah, and then you have Burial at Sea. And Burial at Sea not only tries to answer the questions left over by Bioshock Infinite, but also tries to tie the entire Bioshock franchise together. And, yeah, and without, again, without getting into it, because I really insist that you should play Bioshock 1, not so much with the Bioshock 2, but Bioshock Infinite. There are some references to Bioshock 2 in Burial at Sea, isn't there? Some very briefly, very briefly. To some of the figures that more, are present more so in it. Bioshock 1. But like, um, if you play Bioshock 1, then play Bioshock Infinite. Go in and, go in and buy this. There can't be more than a tenner per chapter at this point. There's, there's, per chapter. there's plenty of game in there, both of them. But like, yeah. Burial at Sea 1, you're booked to it again. Yeah, and then in Burial at Sea 2, you're, you're Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And um, like obviously, just in terms of the gameplay for Bravity uh, One, like it is just an experience. And it's it's it's. Uh, shall we say without getting into it? Because like I said, there's a lot of quantum physics involved in this. <laughs> in but in but. All I will say is it may or may not be an alternate version of both of them. True. You know, like you'll get no. to see what we mean by that. I don't want to tip the hand. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go on to it. There's a lot of kind of. There's. Uh, if you've ever seen the TV show Sliders. Yeah. You look, you, you'll know. I leave it at all is not what it seems. Like even in terms of the end, it takes what Burial at Sea does. It takes the mind bending ending of Biotech Infinite and it starts out at that point and just. My God, some of the stuff that happens in that. Some of the stuff that happens in that, and it's such, 
it pays off so much if you paid attention to what you've been doing so far when you go into Burial at Sea, that you start to understand that you can see the threads coming together before they even have knotted together, and you're like, oh my god, is this what's going to happen? You're in on the inside of the story, like that. Like, I mean, I definitely already mentioned is... Like, you can probably tell before Bioshock Infinite ends where Burial at Sea goes a little bit, Mm -hmm. because I'm thinking there's some very interesting stuff that's mentioned in Arcadia, Mm. Um, you know that particular fetch quest mm. there's a couple of interesting things that are mentioned during that that makes you think that there's some sort of link here and then you go on and bury let's see very much kind of it's absolutely fascinating and um, it certainly recaptures the pure horror aspects of Bioshock the original whereas Bioshock Infinite is only really a horror game for its last third like, I'm thinking, well, like, I'm thinking the graveyard, Arcadia, and the hospital. Yeah. Are, like, that's horror. Yeah, the hospital especially. Yeah. Oh, uh, the hospital was the point where I was weeping and begging forgiveness. Yeah. From, an, you know, a fictitious character that I couldn't get there fast enough. Yeah. Um, i got to say, Barry C Part 2 is the only time I've ever enjoyed a, st- a forced death game. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff because, like that. Because again, you're Elizabeth, you're, Elizabeth, you're unarmed. You're, you're, well, you're not unarmed. Well, yeah, you're... You're a little crossbow thingy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, definitely what I mentioned is, like, Bioshock, Shock Infinite, like, you play Bioshock Infinite, they're first-person shooters, they have their own unique twist in terms of the first-person shooters. And, you know, you, you bulk up, you've got your boosts and your weapon upgrades and that, and you run and gun on the lower difficulties, you mince the shit out of dudes. Parent C part one, you're kind of more or less that again. Um, well, my playthrough very C one where I ran out of ammo, fighting the boss towards I think two, two thirds of the way through by one of the mid mid bosses, and I ran out every kind of ammo, and I had to try and take down um, was that type bosses? No, uh, I had to try and take down the boss using nothing but my vigors. Which I was almost out of. It was, and my fingers on my melee wrench, which was not fun at all. Um, but part two, you're Elizabeth. You can't run and gun with big shotguns and machine guns. Yeah, so that's what I'm by. And again, not completely unarmed, but like, out, shall we say, out armed. Oh, yeah, well, uh, completely out gunned. Yeah. And it's, it was an amazing experience. And like, you know me, I fucking hate for stealth. You hate force stealth, and generally speaking, you hate being under like under yeah. yeah. Oh, and just like the the intensity and the immersion of all of it. Listen, folks, just fucking go bed all. Yeah. Seriously, just just do, do it for yourselves. Yeah, it like, is genuinely like it's an experience um, not to be matched. There are very few people, uh, like when the reviews and stuff come out, there are very few people who hated the game. So a team, it sends, tends to vacillate between I quite like the game and Good God, this is a once in. Uh, it's like, a once in a lifetime experience. Well, I wouldn't say once in, once in a generation, once or twice in a generation, like because it's right up there for me with the likes of The Last of Us, with the uh, like uh, anything Last Generation had to offer, really. Uh, yes, a thorough recommend here from the book club, and the reason like we kind of kept things a bit shorter than usual with the news was because I knew this was going to run long, and I was right, because we've been doing this for 32 minutes now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, absolutely would recommend you play Bioshock Infinite and the two Burial at Sea chapters. Uh, Clash in the Clouds, you can stay away from. It's a bit of fun, but yeah. it's not really, like, it's just a, but it's just a I, From what I remember, if you just buy the whole... 
and I know we've talked enough about them on the show, if you buy the whole season pass for it, you can get the two chapters and Clash of the Clays cheaper than you get the two chapters separately. So yeah. make sure to look into that, just see what the pricing is like uh, yeah, before you plunge. Or if you want to wait and see if there's substance to this Bioshock HD collection, I'm sure Barrelet Sea will probably include it in that. Uh, but if you can't wait, pick it up. I'd say you could probably pick up Bioshock Infinite quite cheap now, second hand, or at least cheap as if. Yeah, or you know, like it's you pick it up for less. Than certainly it. worth it. Certainly worth, worth it because I bought it full price on the day. And it's one of those ones where I don't usually buy special editions of games, but in retrospect, because I wasn't mass. No, I didn't get the special edition. You can't have one with the cool art in the cover. No, the no, all the standard PS3 ones had that. It inverts. With the red. Yeah, it's the. Yeah, I didn't get that. Are you sure? Have you checked the inside of the Xbox cover? No. Yeah, because that's it was just on the inside, so I reversed it. You're gonna go up and check that now when we finish this, aren't you? Fuck off. <laughs> You're really funny at this whole time. You thought. Anyway, so uh, that yeah, that's the end of the book club for this week. Um, and the last bit of business we have to get to is Brian has to select his game for next week. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, is that oh yes because you have something interesting or oh yes because you forgot I forgot oh great <laughs> come on which is it ever yeah been? okay that's fair um, yeah so we spoke kind of earlier about Far Cry Primal yeah and so I'm going to take us back a bit mm-hmm. I'm going to take us all the way back to the first Far Cry game I played and I think you know if you're going to talk about a franchise you definitely have to check out there's no point in really saying I'll oh, check out the latest one the fourth one we're going to do Far Cry 2 Okay, Far Cry 2 it is for next week. So, without further ado then, uh, we shall sign off for this week. Uh, make sure, everybody, to go look for us on iTunes if you haven't already linked the cast. We're Please. quite happy about how things are going there. Please give us a five-star review. It helps with our searchability on Please. iTunes. Uh, keep a look at our Facebook page, which is linked to the ca- facebook.com slash linked to the cast. On Twitter.com, we are at link to the cast. I am also at Dave Ryan IB. Brian is at Cargan, C A R G I N, 4107. Uh, what else? We're on YouTube. You'll find that through our Facebook or Twitter pages. We're twitch.tv slash link to the cast. And obviously, the website where you'll find the kind of the show notes and stuff for our episodes is uh, link to the cast.wordpress.com. We're also on SoundCloud, which is probably, if you're not listening to this on iTunes, you're listening to it on SoundCloud, but the SoundCloud link gets posted from our Facebook and Twitter and website anyway, so it'll be easy enough to find it that like that. So, for this week, uh, for a link to the cast, uh, I've been Dave Ryan. I've been Brian McMahon. Bye, yeah.